Good morning and Happy New Year and welcome back to most of you and welcome um, to some of you. I know there's always transfers that come in at semester, so for some of you, this is even your first time um, gathering with this community for worship and welcome uh, to you, especially as you join us. This coming semester, we're going to be walking through um, various pieces within the, the book of Psalms and learning from millennia of believers who've gone before us how this book has shaped um, the songbook of the people of God and how it gives expression to the way that we relate to him. And we're going to delve deeply into that over the course of the semester. One of the traditions we used to have at Dorda is there used to be a spring convocation. Um, we decided a couple years back to only have convocation in the fall to start the year and developed a new tradition where we asked the college president to give the first chapel of the spring semester. So Dr. Hookstra is going to give that to us this morning, um, talking about time. And before we do, just ask that you join me in prayer. Father, we open ourselves up to you and to your work. We acknowledge we come before you broken and in need of your healing hand. We fall short not only of your expectations, but, Father, even our own for ourselves. We need to be made new again and again by your word. We need to continue to grow. Father, we, we need to learn how to practice our resurrection. Father, we ask that this year you would do a new work in each one of us. As we anticipate a, a new semester and a new year ahead, and that we would be completely open to all the ways that you want to run through this place, all the things that you want to show us yet about who you are. Father, we ask that you would speak to us in new ways, that you would set us free in new ways, that you would show us more of your love and your care for us, and that we would live more fully in it. Father, we stand in expectation of all you are about to do, and with confidence in the one who gave it to us, in Jesus' name we claim this. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, John and worship team. And welcome back and welcome to those new students that have joined us. Um, it's the beginning of a new semester. It's the beginning of a new calendar year. And as I thought about what to talk about in chapel already in October, um, a passage from Ephesians which we'll enter in today about taking the most of every opportunity or making the best use of time just continued to resonate in my heart. And it's not because I've got it down. It's because I'm preaching to myself at some level today, as I suppose good speakers always do. But I just want to take us through Scripture. And, and the Ephesians passage brought me to, as it always does, if you've taken Core 100, God's Word to us as one big book. And so we're going to start in Genesis, end in Revelation. We're going to hit Ephesians on along the line. Um, it's going to be a ride, so jump on in. So first, these numbers. Anybody got a guess what these three numbers are? I'll give you the first one. Freshman that started here in August. That's about the number of hours you've spent on campus so far. Kind of interesting to step back and look. The middle number, any guesses? Four-year graduating seniors? Not time spent in the library, good guess. That's the number of hours you have left before we're up on this stage together at 10 o'clock on May 5, 6, whatever the day is. That's the number of hours you have left. Last number. Is Professor Veenstra here this morning? I'm not taking the roll, but 
There he is. That's the approximate number of hours Professor Veenstra has spent on this campus. As a professor, not as a student. Now let me flip these numbers for you just a minute. That means, freshmen, you've already spent 15% of your Dort College years, if you're going to be here for a four-year degree, you've spent them already, or you've used them already, or whatever metaphor you want. Graduating seniors, if you've been here for four years, that's the percentage you have left. Professor Veenstra, it's 97% in the books from the standpoint of your service here. I'm not sure, well, I know that until my mid-30s, nobody woke me up to time the way I wish they would have when I was 18. So that's what this is about today, hopefully bringing you to a new sense of time. I think it's something we take for granted. It's something we, if you will, use, spend. And here are the metaphors, right? Oh, I love Wonka, right? Everybody remember that from the beginning of the, the original? You guys don't even know what the original Willy Wonka Go back in the archives and watch it someday. It's better. When they're first all gathering in his office, he says, right, we have so much time and so little to see. Oh, wait, reverse that. I can still remember watching that movie and that line. It's like there. It was kind of the first time where I realized that time and movement have a correlation. They have something to do with one another. But again, that was when I was maybe six or seven. But it was late into my 30s before I really sat back again. I just... I think ran from the time when I was six until I was 36, and I didn't look at it. And, and at some level, is this a time management seminar? No. It's about looking to God and saying, you've given us this gift. What do you want us to do with it? And it's about stewardship. But these are just words as I thought about this. Look at all the ways we talk about time. And you can probably come up with six or eight or ten different ones. Some of my favorites, I didn't have time. When one of my children would tell me that, I would say, really? Tell me about that. You didn't have time. Right? You know that professors, you can relate that sometime in this semester you'll hear, I didn't have time. We all have time. Now, what do we do with it is the question. A couple of others. I, making time. That one just slays me. I'm going to make time. Really? And I kind of step back. Did God give you some new powers that I didn't know about? Right? We can't make time. But we've all gotten comfortable with words like time flies and stealing time, right? I always love it when I'm thinking about speaking and I say, I'll just steal time from the speaker before me or after me, right? We don't steal time. It's in a box. And we've got to think about the, wor the words that we use matter. And I think the words that we use change our hearts and hopefully can change our hands. And I just want you this semester to when you put something with time, maybe catch yourself up and do an evaluation, do a little bit of a stewardship guess in terms of your time. So Genesis 1, that God gave us this gift of time. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light. And there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, in the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning, the first day. You'll have to lean on your philosophy professors to say, well, what was time before that? I, I, I don't know. But it's clear that God gave this as a gift to us. 
And a writer, Leland Riken, wrote it better than I could say it. He says, I suggest the possibility that God placed us under the limitations of time, partly as a continuous reminder that he is the creator and that we are his creatures. Furthermore, if God is the one who allots us our time, we have reason to conclude that we have sufficient time to do what God wants us to do. If our agendas are loaded beyond what we have time for, we are probably trying to do more than God expects or allows us to accomplish. I guess that's the start of today. There are some of you who feel that way. And I guess this is a message for three groups of people, and I assume that you'll all find yourselves in one of those three groups. First of all, I'll, I'll the agendas too full people. I will call them the perseverators. The perseverators that think everything is equal in terms of needing its time and attention, and you run around with guilt that somehow there's this problem in the world and that problem in the world, and you need to do something about it, and your agendas are over full. That's not living with time the way God intended. My message to you today is focus. Then there's that group that I might call perfectionists. Those ones that maybe don't have a problem with all the world is their problem and they need to work on it and they don't have enough time. But maybe it's just one or two things. They already have the focus they need, but they just can't give up until they perfect it. And my message to you this morning is relax. It's okay to do things well to the glory of God and then be able to say at a certain moment, it's enough. It's okay. We are not in the place of God to perfect things. Now, those of you who are in the last category have probably said, wow, I'm glad he's telling us to focus and relax. Because, But the last group is the procrastinators. Why did that seem like a low laugh? Um, the procrastinators. I do believe that we, if you will, waste time or don't steward it very well. And I've heard a lot of sermons on stewardship. Most of them are financial. But if we think about our time and how we use it, and to the procrastinators today, I would just say, get it done. Do something. Get off your couch. Get out of your room. A lot of times I think procrastination comes from a sense of not sure what I'm supposed to be doing or not exactly sure what God's calling me to do. Um, it's a great quote from Luther that Riken puts in his book, and I want to read it to you. God does not want success to come without work. This is Luther speaking. He does not want me to sit at home, to loaf, and to commit my matters to God, right? We do believe in providence, that if we sit on the couch, God will take care of it. Well, that's not entirely the right theory about providence. He does not want me to sit at home, to loaf, to commit matters to God, and wait till a fried chicken flies in my mouth. Luther didn't know they had fried chicken back then. That would be tempting God. And so the third group, the procrastinators, the message this morning is, Step up. God's calling you. He's given you this gift of whether it's 3,500 hours or 27,000 hours or 98,000 hours. He's given you this gift, and he expects a return on his investment. And you shouldn't have a sense of dread or worry about that. You should have a sense of joy and completeness. He gave us work before the fall, and now let's talk just a little bit about the fall. Have you seen these, this hashtag, TGIF? Everybody knows what it means. 
And it's certainly understandable in terms of the sun comes up, the sun goes down. There is a rhythm to the seasons. But when we say TGIF, I think we're borrowing from the world's perspective. It's really understandable, but taken too far just like any other sin, right? A good gift that God's given us of rest, but we take it too far. And that we look at our work as something to get away from. We look at time as something that's overtaking us rather than living into God's rhythms. Retirement. A couple of really good friends of mine have said, retirement is not in Scripture. Certainly we understand our years are 70 and 80 and that our rhythms and our pace and so might need to change. But retirement, it's not a scriptural concept. And so as I was thinking about these two, I thought, what's the common piece to these two? I hear about TGI Friday. I can't wait to get home and put on some comfy clothes. I can't wait to sit on a comfy couch. You hear about a comfortable retirement. So it got me thinking about this word comfort. And it brought me back to the Heidelberg Catechism. Question and answer one. Which is a wonderful place to begin a new year as we turn the calendar and look. So I'd like us. I don't know that we've done this before often. But I'd like us. There's a tradition in a lot of Reformed churches to have the speaker ask the question and the audience bring back the answer from the catechism. And so let's do that. We're thinking about TGIF and retirement because we want to be somehow comfy. Because what God's been given us to do Monday through Friday has made us sort of uncomfortable. Or our retirement. We hope to get to 70, to be able to comfortably retire. But Scripture says this. What is your only comfort in life and in death? Body and soul in life and in death. My faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. My sin with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation because I belong to him. Christ, by his Holy Spirit, gives me eternal life. Makes me wholeheartedly ready from now on to live for him. The tyranny of the devil the tyranny of the clock, the tyranny of time. You've probably heard statements similar to that in the past. We're set free from the tyranny of the devil, and we should be set free from the tyranny of time. We should really focus in terms of our stewarding of time at that last piece, that God, through Christ, makes us wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. And you notice it doesn't say from now on to work for him. It's to live for him that our living is much more than our work, and that we're to live into those patterns of work and rest in an appropriate fashion. St. Irenaeus said this, the glory of God is man fully alive. I love that quote. It helps me think about the fact that my work, whatever it is, however much has been given to me or however much I choose to take on or how I do it, needs to bring me joy so that it brings God glory. It's what's here. Soli Deo Gloria. It's what this place is about. It's what your professors want to put into you. It's how you should be living your life, professors. If you don't have a wholehearted, ready from now on and willing to live for him attitude in your work and in your rest, you might need to do some evaluation this semester. And I'd invite you to do that.
It's a good exercise. So the most famous piece about time from Scripture, Ecclesiastes, a very difficult book. I'm not sure I understand it fully. There's this whole living under the sun and then living with God piece. But if you go back to this passage, and I'll let you do that. I won't read it all except for the last piece. What gain has a worker from his toil? I have seen the business or busyness that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. If you're not feeling that way, either because you're the procrastinator and everything's not beautiful, it's humdrum, something's wrong. Dig into Scripture. Go see somebody. Talk through it because there's something wrong. Or the other way, if you're that perfectionist or the perseverator and it's beating you down, you're under the tyranny, it's not beautiful in its time, you've got something to dig into. And I'm not sure I have all the answers for all three categories this morning. I simply say, work on it, seek it, steward it. Also, he has put eternity in man's heart. We'll get to that at the end in Revelation. He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and do good as long as they live. Also, so that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in his work. That is God's gift to man. If it's not feeling like a gift, something's wrong. So, moving on from there, living into God's time. I want to spend a few minutes. Ben Carson called. He wanted to have his visit to our campus be on a Sunday. I'm not sure which one, one of the next three Sundays before the Iowa caucuses. Straw poll particularly of Carson supporters that really wanted to see Carson? We said no. It was tough. I'd love to have Carson here. But we said no. There's a whole theological thing. He's a Seventh-day Adventist that's Saturday. We're not going there today in terms of time. But we said no. Every other school in our athletic conference, except for us in Northwestern, have athletic competitions on Sunday. The library's closed. I got an email last semester asking me to change that because the library is a great place to study and couldn't we have it be open on Sunday? We don't do those things, not for legalistic reasons. Right? There's no lightning bolt that's going to come down to the, the library if we open it on a Sunday. It's not for legalistic reasons, but it is, I think, living intentionally as an institution and as a community into God's pattern for our lives. And again, I won't put myself up as a holier-than-thou about Sunday and I'm not, you need to figure that out in terms of living with God the way you want to. But I do think there's something about time. That thus the heavens and earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And just like time is a gift from God, and our work is a gift from God. Rest is a gift from God. And it also can be abused, but it can also be abused by not being used. And I just invite you to let that resonate and put within you, as you now, particularly students, are building lifelong habits. And I will tell you, sorry, it's only in about the last seven years that I've even come close to resting appropriately on the seventh day. And I think that's bad. And I want you to do it earlier than I did. 
because I was the perseverator. I still am. And my giving glory to God was about my work too much, and it still will be until the day I die. I know that about myself. But I've come to new joy by living into God's patterning in some new individual and family and institutional ways. Um, And so I offer that to you this morning. A couple of things about managing our time. Teach us to number our days that we may have a heart of wisdom. For you form my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in a secret place, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me. Some of you know or knew Brandon Oldenkamp, or some of you have been through the doors in the duet where Brandon's uniform is hung. Brandon passed away between his junior and senior year of college. He was a basketball player, student leader, a really good guy. His parents still come to most of our games. Aaron told me this story that during the time of his um, funeral memorial service, his parents said, who are we to feel like we got gypped out of any day that Brandon was alive? Every day was a gift. And for a grieving parent to say that is unbelievable. And I guess I don't know what God has for you in terms of your days or what challenges you're going to have. A friend of mine lost a child very early on and said the same thing. And I want you to dig into the faith today before that day comes when you lose someone shorter than what you would have hoped for so that through that experience your faith is built rather than broken down. These passages about time and God knowing our days, it's not just tomorrow when we're going to do something. He is the creator. We are these creatures. We live by his grace and his grace alone. Lastly, we get to Ephesians. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise but as wise. Making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. To unpack this passage, I need a volunteer. Come on up. Come on up. Yeah. It's Fulster, right? But I can't get the first name. Come on up, Morgan. Come on up. Come on up, Morgan. We're going to do a little experiment about making the best use of time. Again, uh, I learned this from Stephen Covey, actually. Um, a Mormon. There's common grace for you. His book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He's got one of those habits is putting first things first. This is a visual representation. Morgan, will you help me? Let's call this binge-watching Netflix, and let's call this Pinterest. Should we do that? <laughs> let's, let's fill up our days with... Go ahead, dump it in. Let's fill up our days with Netflix, Pinterest, Madden, Black Ops, Call of Duty. Thanks. Now, what else do we have to do for the week? Maybe we have to go to Walmart. What else? Call our mom. Call our mom. (laughs) What else? Do our homework. Do our homework. Well, we'll get to homework in a minute. We've got some bigger balls here. But there's the rest of our other things besides Black Ops. You ever sleep? 
star above your sleeping? You ever eat? Okay. We have bread, but man shall not live by bread alone, so we have strawberries. <laughs> Morgan, does anyone out there have a special interest for you? You got to make time for that. Do you ever have roommates that have issues? Do you ever have any drama in your life? You got to take some time for drama working with. Do you ever, you go to chapel, that's good. Bible study? Yeah. All right, that's good. You ever any classes this semester, Morgan? I have a couple. How many, at least three? At least three. All right, let's put those in there. Okay. Any hobbies? You're a music guy, right? Yeah. Throw the music in there. You got to make time for the music. How'd your week turn out? Pretty full. Your cup runneth over. <laughs> but I don't think that's what was meant by your cup runneth over. Let's try it a different way. Let's try it a different way. Let's start with classes and Bible study chapel. Go ahead. Let's start with that first. Now let's eat. Go ahead. Let's eat and let's sleep. Uh. <laughs> Still got roommate issues or drama. Still got to call mom, all those things. Let's say we've picked up a new hobby instead of music, but now let's do all the other small things in life, shall we? Give it a shake. Reorganize ourselves. Which looks like a more settled life, Morgan? So what should we do first? Besides call mom and the heart. Go to chapel and our classes. It's a concept called getting your big rocks in first prioritization, time management. And again, I ran around until I was in my late 30s before somebody showed me this. And I went like, really? Not everything has the same level of importance? And I'm still struggling with that. But it's just a hopefully helpful visual for you. Decide what your big rocks are. Put them in first. Make time. There is time for Pinterest and Black Ops 5. (laughs) Three. Whatever it is. Plenty of time for hobbies. There's plenty of time to call mom. There's plenty of time to do things. But if your life looks like that with things running over, it's probably because you haven't put the big rocks first. Morgan, thanks. Sorry I couldn't remember your first name. <laughs> Lastly then today, living towards the end of time. This fascinates me. I want to take, I took a course in eschatology in my undergrad, but this concept fascinates me that in Genesis 1, God gave us night and day. He set up time for us, gave it to us as a gift. He gives us our work. He gives us our leisure. He put the patterning of these seven days together. I think he asks us to make the best use of our time. But then here's what John saw in Revelation. Then the angel showed me the river, the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city also. On either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. The tyranny of the devil is over. But the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. 
They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. That's called living toward the end of time. And again, I don't begin to understand it. Aaron said, well, there has to be time in heaven because we're going to have golf tea times. So how will we show up on time without night and beyond my scope of theological blessing. But it is interesting, in the first chapter of Scripture, God gives us night and day, sets our time, tells us He knows each and every day. He's known about them from the beginning of time. He asks us to use them wisely for His glory. And then in Revelation, the light of Christ will at least, I think, take away any of the tyranny of time. Whether there will be night and day and rest in in different ways, um, we will see. So take whatever you did from today. I hope there was a message from God in this for you. I hope there's a blessing for your semester in it. And stand up and receive a blessing, please. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you. May you give him every minute of this semester and of your lives, and he will bless it. He has spoken it. Trust it and live it for God's glory. In the risen name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Have a great semester.